So I, uh, I love the Bible. I love Christianity. I love studying it. And one of the things I really like is theology. And so the theology is pretty much like this. Yeah, right. Like, systematic. So it's that idea of looking at the Bible as a whole. And so when I came here, and Brian's like, "Oh, do you want to preach or get into one verse?" I'm like, "All right." So we are going to be in Matthew five seven, put a placeholder there, but we are going to jump around uh, quite a bit. All the verses will be on the screen, so if you have to take notes. And so, went long in the first service, huh? It's off. That's yeah, off. Anyways, we were wrong in the first service. Thought I cut some stuff out, so you might as well just sit down to laugh and we'll have a good time. So, I'm using an iPad today. Gotta go super millennial. Alright, so, I went to Christopher Newport University and I have a degree in philosophy and studies. And that means I had to read philosophy, right? Obviously. And so one of the world's most influential works of philosophy and political theory is Plato's Republic. It's a book about how a philosopher king should act in a society, how citizens should act, how the government and citizens should have a relationship. It's a dialogue. It's basically two people sitting down talking to each other, talking about laws, morals, justices, injustices. And the political public revolved around justice, order of the city-state, character of the city-state. When I mean city-state, I mean like a country. And what it looks like to be a just man in that city-state. But as a public, essentially is a book about how just men should act in a kingdom. It's a book about how citizens should act in a kingdom. Over the past four weeks, Pastor Brian has been walking us through the Beatitudes and what our attitudes should look like in God's kingdom. Just like Plato's Republic that outlines attitudes of a citizen in his utopian, ideal state, the Bible outlines our attitudes in a real kingdom, in God's kingdom. And since this is the fifth week I want to refocus on the thinking that Jesus is in fact talking about his kingdom, God's kingdom. Jesus in fact hints to us that the Beatitudes are in fact kingdom attitudes. Look at me up there, Matthew. Sorry, I kind of like got cut off. Matthew 4.23. This is before the Beatitudes, right? The Beatitudes happen in chapter there. Chapter 5. And it says, Matthew writes, talking about Jesus, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, in healing every disease and every affliction among people. Matthew is telling us that Jesus' earthly mission, his ministry, is three things. Teaching in the synagogues, Proclaiming the kingdom and healing. Then look at Matthew 9.35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, 
and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Almost word for word, Matthew writes about what God's earthly mission is. Proclaiming the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom, healing. Now if you read Matthew, Matthew's gospel, Matthew writes about this kingdom all the time. If you want to go through Matthew, every time it talks about the kingdom, or it says the word kingdom, underline it. And you open back up, you look at all this underlying. Matthew's gospel shows us this kingdom of Christ, this kingdom of God that Jesus is proclaiming. Now, between these two chunks, between Matthew 4.23 and 9.23, Jesus is doing, in fact, what Matthew is writing. He's preaching the kingdom attitude, the attitude, Sermon on the Mount. He's proclaiming the gospel. Faith, satirian, comes in the middle of that section. And he's healing many. In fact, he heals a leper before he comes to the Sermon on the Mount. Talk. And the kingdom proclaiming theme, this kingdom theme, is even seen within the Beatitudes when you zoom in. Matthew 5 3, the beginning of the Beatitudes, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here we, again, we see Jesus is talking about the kingdom, about talking about how we are to be. Spiritually bankrupt, rely on God in this kingdom. <coughs> now look at Matthew 5:10. Blessed are those who are persecuted by righteousness' sake, for there is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus starts his discussion with Beatitudes saying, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and ends his discussion with Beatitudes saying, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the six, five Beatitudes that are sandwiched in between 5, 3, and 5, 10 all deal with kingdom attitude of a servant in that kingdom. There are future promises sandwiched by present promises. Like I said earlier, underlining when I preached in August, I talked about words matter in the Bible, right? I'm not the grammar can't sell very well, uh, but I understand that words matter. This is the word of God. The authors were inspired by God to write these things. So it matters when they talk, when they write these tenses, these words matter. Verses 3 and 10 are present. This is the kingdom of heaven. Is the kingdom of heaven. Now. The 60 attitudes that are sandwiched between these verses are blessings and attitudes of the kingdom, yes they are, of being a part of God's kingdom, and they are patterned to what is to come. The kingdom of heaven is present now. And that's obvious in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus talks about it. He says the kingdom of God is here. And we see that in these verses. But the full blessings of the Beatitudes that are sandwiched in between 5, 3, and 5, 10 are for the age to come. Now, 
Love also tells us what is it not like to be in the kingdom. To drive home this point of what our attitude should be in the kingdom of God. I just say Proverbs. But Proverbs. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 gives us a glimpse of what it is to not be like in the kingdom of God. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Healthy eyes, lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deceives, divides wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discourse among believers. Each one of these actually can line up with the Beatitude. Also in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 23, Jesus is having a conversation with a crowd, and he's talking to a group of Pharisees and scribes, right? We know the Bible paints them a bad picture of Pharisees and scribes, they're always doing something bad, right? They're always, their character, their conduct. And it says that Jesus has seven woes to the Pharisees and the scribes about their character. So we see here at Proverbs, we call it Proverbs, <laughs> Proverbs, and Matthew 23, that God is hinting at us, hey, listen, this is not how your attitude should be in the kingdom, the present kingdom. And today, we continue to investigate what our kingdom attitude should be in the kingdom that is present, that is anticipating the full blessings of Christ. Today, we are going to investigate Matthew 7. Blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. And I like alliterations. I like word companies together. And if there's nothing you remember today, remember these words. Where, what, why. Where does mercy come from? What is mercy? And are we walking in mercy? Where, what, why. So, where does mercy come from? At first glance, this beatitude is easy to see that mercy comes from God. Mercy. Yep. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> However, it's way more than just that. Like I said earlier, systematic theology, it looks at the Bible as a whole. And it says, how is God fitting this? plan of redemption. And in theology, it's hard to bottle up one of God's attributes. You have to talk about all of God's attributes at once. So when we talk about love, we have to talk about the loving God, the just God, the hidden God, the merciful God, all the known attributes. However, that being said, Mercy might be God's most fundamental attribute. I went to a conference when I was in college, in sophomore year, and there was 10,000 people, so just think of us time to 10,000 people there. It was a campus crusade for Christ conference. And we were preaching about, oh, in awe. I don't know what it was. It was in awe. In awe of what God is doing, what he did, and he will do. And the speaker was preaching, talking, and he could text in questions. And he texts someone texting a question, why did God just fall? Right? 
God's all-knowing, all-powerful, so why didn't he let us fall? And his response, I remember, he said, to show us mercy. To have a relationship with us. Mercy might be the single most radiant thread in God's entire list of known attributes. Exodus 34, 6 says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We see the snapshot of the Passover of Moses writing this, describing God as merciful, as gracious, as slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The act of the Passover to the Jewish culture is highly regarded. High level. But then we get to zoom in. Last year, the students and I went through a Bible study called One Story. And it's how all scripture points us back to Christ. So we zoom in and we see who embodies the Beatitudes perfectly. Christ, Jesus said. Jesus showed mercy to the sick, the crippled, the blind, the deaf, the dumb, the poor, the outcast, the prostitutes, the unloved, and to us. In fact, Jesus, who's the most merciful person who ever walked the earth, received from men no mercy. To all from them, the very one to whom he showed mercy to. To reinforce this idea that the kingdom is at hand and mercy comes from Christ, in Matthew 18, 23 through 35, it says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay this debt, the master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his entire family. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, I'll pay everything. And I'll pay for him the master of that servant and release him and forgive him all his debt. Most of us know what happens next, right? The servant that <clears throat> was released of his debt went to another servant and asked him, pay what you owe. So he said, have patience on me. I'll pay. But he refused put him in prison. Then the master who ultimately forgave the first ser- servant summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. I should not you have had mercy on your fellow student servant as I had on you. But Jesus chimes in in verse 35 and says, so also my heavenly father will do to you, to every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother with your heart. We don't wait for the coming age to receive mercy. It has come in Jesus. It's come on the cross. So the answer, where does mercy come from? I'm going to sit over here. comes from God. Romans 9, 16 says, So then it depends not on human will, but on God who has mercy. That's all good. All right, we get it. To get mercy from God. But what does that mean for us, right? What does that mean that mercy comes from here?
given to us? Where does it come from us? It comes from the heart that felt spiritually bankrupt. We talked about this last four weeks. Broken, poor in spirit, meek, hunger and thirst for righteousness, who cry out to God, God, I am a broken person who needs mercy. My heart is broken. The mercy that God blesses us is itself the blessing of God. And it grows like a fruit in our broken hearts. Our mercy towards each other comes because of God's mercy. Mercy comes from God through the divine act of Jesus to show no mercy. Our mercy comes from our hearts that seek after the source of it. So what is mercy? What is mercy? Our definition of mercy might differ from Jesus is actually talking about here. When I think of mercy, my mind automatically goes to the medieval time period, to the medieval time TV shows with the knight burning into prisoners, driving them in front of the king. The knight drops the prisoner, and then he's like, show me mercy. Show me mercy. And the king can do two things, right? Kill him on the spot, or you can show him mercy. But I like to think that this king that is sitting here, dressed up in his glamorous robes, is thinking to himself, if I show this guy mercy, I'm getting something. I'm getting the praise of my citizen. I'm getting the praise of my servant. Also, they're getting praise of this guy who's begging for his life. <coughs> The mercy Jesus is talking about grows out of relationship with God. It's a divine mercy. This prisoner king, they don't have this relationship. They don't have this relationship. The Greek word for mercy is past, merciful in this passage is ela hayomos. I'd like a phonetic thing, but no. And it only appears one other time in the Bible, in this context. And that's Hebrews 2.17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He's talking about Jesus. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of his people. And the root word of merciful is Elah-Ao. Which means to have mercy. And it's the finest to care for the afflicted. Rescue the miserable. It has to do with sympathy and compassion. The word mercy in the Bible often links to other words. Titus 3 5 says, He saved us not because of work done by us in righteousness but by according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration from the renewal of the Holy Spirit. A merciful God is a forgiving God. Ephesians 2.4 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he loved us, a merciful God is a loving God. An often useful tool in trying to explain something is to explain what it is not. 
Jesus, in fact, gives us two examples to describe what mercy is not. Excuse my, my typo. In Matthew 9, 10-13, it said, As if Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came, and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, What is your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of physician." But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus himself is telling the Pharisees and tax collectors and people who are questioning him that the opposite of mercy is sacrifice. In the Bible, there's quotation marks around, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And Jesus is quoting Hosea 6, chapter 6, 6, or verse 6, 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Jesus is in fact challenging the Pharisees, their heart behind their religious duties and their sacrifices. Jesus is telling them their love is fleeting. Here one time, here gone next. Jesus is making the point that he wants kingdom citizens to be alive in our hearts. He wants them to have feelings of affection toward him, mercy towards others. This mercy he is talking about is not merely a religious duty to exercise, but a heartfelt duty. For sake of time, I'm going to read all of Luke 10, 25 37. But we know the story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan, right? This guy's walking, or this lawyer, this lawyer comes, and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor. Jesus says, you answered correctly. Do this. Do you look. But Jesus wanting no more challenge with God. And who is my neighbor? Right? Jesus is asking. He just talks about the story of how a man was fallen among robbers, right? And here comes a Levite, or a person priest. Someone who is we think a priest should be, good. Okay, should be a pretty good guy, right? He should show mercy to this person who's fell. He's walking. <coughs> then you have a Levite, another person with religious standing. You would think, okay, makes sense. He goes away. Then you have a Samaritan, someone who the Jews regarded as trash. The point is that Jesus is saying that. Blessed are those who are merciful now to their neighbor, for they shall receive the mercy of eternal life in the future. Now. The man in this story is asking Jesus how a person's attitude should be. And he's saying two things. 
It starts with a relationship with God that is present and happening now. Showing mercy now. Mercy sees pain and it's a response within the heart to feel compassion towards that pain. It then moves into an outward extension of love and the hardest one for us is it happens to someone who may not like in our terms, mercy is the showing compassion to someone by a free act of God for that person. Finally, walk in mercy. And when I was preparing for this, I found this story of this incredible act of this merciful man. And it says, it was a cold night in February 2007 when the car holding Chris Williams and his family was hit by a 17-year-old drunk driver. Immediately, Chris checked on his children in the back seat and quickly realized his 11-year-old son and 9-year-old daughter had died. Then as he watched his pregnant wife Exhale for the last time. Meanwhile, Williams was in so much pain he could barely move his arm to turn off the car's engine. However, before he had even been rescued from this car, Williams told the news station he thought this, whoever has done this to us, I forgive them. I don't care what their, what the circumstances were. I forgive him. And he proved this as a good to his word, he said publicly forgiving his family's killer. And now he has a relationship with the killer and his family. This is what incredibly walking in mercy looks like. To some of us, we think if something happened to my children, it's hard for me to forgive someone. Or let alone something happens to my property, house, job. Anything, small thing, it's hard. Show mercy. So far this morning, we have looked at where mercy comes from and what is mercy. Now we get to the point of we challenge each other. Are you walking in mercy or are you flashing mercy? The key to become being a merciful person. Is to be a broken person relying on God. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything you are and have to the sheer divine mercy of Christ. Therefore, if we want to become merciful people, it is imperative that we cultivate a view of God in ourselves that helps us to say with all our heart that every joy and virtue and of our life is owing the free, undeserved mercy of God. It starts with God. Our definition of mercy starts with the act of Christ shedding his blood, showing us mercy on that cross. Jesus didn't just show mercy here and there. He embodied mercy everywhere. He went and in return showed no, got shown no mercy. We all 
have birthdays, right? Birthday gifts, birthday gifts and stuff. And I like the saying where it comes around like, oh, shoot, I have to get this person a gift because he gave me a gift. Or Taylor and I are getting our guest list for our wedding, and often we say, we have to invite them to our wedding because we went to theirs. We owe someone something because they showed us something or they gave us something, right? Our mercy shouldn't elevate us to prosper out of charity. Our charity should elevate us, elevate our Savior. Our mercy towards others should elevate God's mercy towards us. Our mercy shouldn't be an occasional thing. It shouldn't take a hurricane in Texas or Florida to show mercy to people. Or an earthquake in Mexico. We should show mercy everywhere we walk. In the neighborhood around our church, in our work, in our school. Our mercy switches should be set on all positions on the whole time. Jesus teaches us that we don't merely wait for the age to come to receive mercy. We have it. We're receiving it. We saw it on the cross. We see it in forgiveness of sin. We see it in the free gift of grace. We taste it. So share that beautiful taste with others. The link between our mercy and God's mercy anticipates Matthew 6, 12, and forgive us our debts because we also have forgiven our debtors. Matthew 6, 14 through 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. One of my favorite writers, theologians, is John Piper. And most of the most stuff that I'm pulling out is from his work on the Beatitudes. And I want to read to you what he says at the end of his, like, I guess a ceremony that he talks about mercy. He says, when God asks for a record of your mercy at the day of judgment, you will not be asking for a punch time card. You won't say, here it is, God. Here's eight hours of mercy, and here's my wage. That's not a walking, habitual part after mercy. Instead, God will be asking for your medical charts. You will hand them to him in all your lowness and meekness, and there he will read the evidence of how you trusted him as your divine physician, and how the medicine of his word and therapy of his spirit took effect in your life because you relied on them to heal you of your unmerciful disposition. And when he sees the evidence of your faith and his healing, he will complete your healing and welcome you to the kingdom forever. So we've been looking at attitudes, kingdom attitudes of not just individual, but of a church, of Lake Ridge Baptist Church. So the question is, do we want to be a church that is merciful in flashes or habitually walking in mercy? As kingdom servants, we must reflect in our own hearts the heart of our King, of Jesus, being made like Jesus more and more each day. 
It's just not an action, but an attitude. Not just a conduct, but a character. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. A couple minutes, we're going to pray. We're going to sing a song. And I'll be sitting up here with Pastor Neil. And if you're sitting here in your seats, and the way to sing is crushing you, God, I'm calling out for your mercy. Come, we'll pray with one Or you're sitting here today in your book, you're saying, how do I reflect this mercy out to my neighbors, to my school, to my workplace? Come pray. Or if there's anything going on in your hearts, the altar is open. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your son. We thank you for the gift of grace, forgiveness of sins, thank you for being the gift of God. <coughs> we thank you for your son who embodied mercy for us. And I pray that we look to this divine mercy as a source to show other people, not just in flashes, but constantly walking. But I pray if there's anyone in here who needs to show mercy to someone, you push me to do that. We love you. Let's stand. Mm-hmm.